Jesus calls all of us to follow him. That initial call to follow him. We read about it in Matthew 4, 19, where he calls Peter and Andrew and he says, come follow me. And scripture says they immediately drop their nets and they follow him. And Jesus would say that same thing to you and me, come follow me. And the question is, where are we following Jesus to? If we follow Jesus, then we know that Jesus was headed to a cross. We know that the son of God clothed himself in flesh and that he came to earth and he was born as a baby in a manger. He lived a sinless life, 33 and a half years. He lived and he was crucified on a cross where he died and he was buried in a tomb. And then he rose victoriously. But we know that Jesus was headed to a cross. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we know that we too are headed to a cross. But then we also know that Jesus was headed to a resurrection resurrection and to victory. If we follow Jesus, we are headed to a cross and like him, the good news is that we are resurrected with him and we have victory with him. But have you ever wondered what does this new life look like in Christ? What does this resurrected life look like after death? And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this stuff in this series that I'm calling life after death your life after encountering the cross, life after death, your life after encountering the cross. And we're going to talk about what this new resurrected life looks like. What does life look like for us now that we have been resurrected with Christ? We have been raised with him. Now I got saved at an early age. I was nine years old. I prayed this prayer in the living room with my mom. My mom led me uh, to Christ. I'll never forget October 21st, 1980 or, or 1986. I'm praying this prayer with her. Give my life to the Lord. And I know some people have this experience where they're like, hey, when I trusted Christ, it was this big emotional experience. Like I ran down to the altar and I was crying and I had this moment where I just knew instantly everything was changed. It wasn't like that for me. Again, I was nine, right? And I prayed this prayer with my mom when I'm nine years old and I trust Jesus. I asked him to be Lord of my life. I understood what was happening. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I needed a savior and I believed that Jesus was the only way. I also believed that Jesus had died in my place, that he bore my guilt and my shame and my sin. And I believed that he was nailed to that cross for me. And I also believed that he was buried in the tomb and that he rose victoriously. I believed all of those things, but I didn't have that moment where it was like this big epiphany. Like now I know exactly what I'm going to do. I just kind of remember thinking like, oh, cool. I'm not going to go to hell anymore. Right? Because as a kid, that's typically what kids who trust Christ early think. Like I'm going to get to go to heaven with Jesus. I'm going to see all my grandparents and great grandparents and the people who are already up there. It's going to be great. And that's kind of the extent of it for a child. And that was the moment that I had. Just remember thinking this is pretty cool. Um, But then life went on. I got older. I became a teenager. My hormones kicked in. And when those hormones came, I got attracted to some things I should not have been, uh, or I should have been attracted to, but I should not have pursued those attractions in the way that I did, if you will. I know there are kids watching, so I won't go too far into that. But I started having these battles of, I know that this thing isn't right, but it feels right and I like it. So this is what I'm going to do. And so if you fast forward a few years and a few and a lot of mistakes, now I'm feeling like Peter when he denied Jesus. I trusted Jesus when I was young. I had believed in him. I understood his word. I had been learning his word. I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong, but I had made these mistakes that I felt like separated me from him. Just like I know Peter felt that night when he denied him. Like I walk with Jesus. I talk with Jesus. I knew Jesus, but I've made some mistakes that have separated me from him. And now 
What do I do? Now what? Now what do I do in this, in this life, this resurrected life after I have died with Christ and have been raised with him? Now what do I do in this life because I've made some mistakes? I'm not even sure that, that Jesus would want me anymore. But just like Jesus did with Peter, if you read in John 20 and 21, just like Jesus did with Peter, Jesus restored Peter. He brought him back to the fold. Excuse me. <clears throat> and when he restored Peter, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new life, a new purpose, a new mission. I want you to go feed my sheep. I want you to go feed my lambs. And just like he did, Peter, Jesus brought me back and he restored me and he reminded me who I am in him. And then he repeated that call. Follow me. Follow me. So now what do we do with this life after death, your life after encountering the cross? And so what we're really going to talk about is we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple. Because that's what we are now that we have had this life-altering experience, now that we have encountered the cross, we have become disciples. And here's what I want you to know about discipleship. A disciple is not focused on learning. A disciple is focused on becoming. A disciple is not focused on learning. A disciple is focused on becoming. A disciple would say, I don't just want to know what Jesus knows. And catch this. I don't want to just know what Jesus knows. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be who Jesus is. I want to be everything that Jesus represented. I want to be everything that Jesus was on the earth. I don't want to just know what he knew. I want to be who he was. And I know that's how the disciples felt like they had this teacher, this master, this Lord, and they knew he was God. And I know as they walk with him and they talk with him, they were thinking, I don't want to just know what he knows. I want to be like him. And that's where we stand. Now, on that thought, just a quick note, we are not Jesus, right? You and I are not Jesus. We never will be Jesus. We're not perfect. We weren't born into a sinless life like him, but we can do our best to live like Jesus lived. We can do our best to experience life the way that Jesus did, to live in the resurrection power that he gives us. Now, this is a two-part series, and today we're going to kick it off by talking about living how Jesus lived, and next week we're going to talk about doing what Jesus did but this is where we are, this life after encountering the cross, this life after death, as you will, disciples who are focused on becoming like Jesus, how we're going to live like Jesus lived and do what Jesus did. Now, y'all ready to dive into this? I know that I am. So here's my question for you today. How do we live like Jesus lived? How do we live like Jesus lived? How do, how do we do this in such a way that our lives will will look like his life looked, that our lives will feel like his life filled, if you will, because that's what Jesus came to do. When he came, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. But he trained disciples. He trained people who were going to take over this mission after he left. He trained people who were supposed to look like he looked, not talking facial features and stuff, not talking body type, but in lifestyle. Their lifestyle needed to look the way that Jesus looked. And the apostle Paul is a great example of, of not being Jesus, but living like Jesus lived. The apostle Paul is a great example of, I'm not even worthy to be named with Christ, but I'm going to do my best to live my life in a way that Jesus lived his. And he gave us a great example in a letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae. He gave us a great example of how we can live like Jesus lived. Now, if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter three today. We're actually going to go through quite a bit of scripture, but I promise it's going to be nice and light and easy in a sense, but I pray that you get a lot out of this. We're going to look at Colossians chapter three, uh, verse one through 10, and we're just going to break this down just a little bit. Paul's written this letter to this church in Colossae, this church that he helped to plant, and he's going to tell them how they can live like Jesus lived. Let's go ahead and break this down. All right. So he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above. So there's this idea that now that we have been raised with Christ, we have this resurrection power of God. If you listen to Pastor Brian's message last week or my message on Palm Sunday, we both talked about this idea that that the Holy Spirit gives us power. And so Pastor Brian's message specifically, this idea of resurrection power, now that Christ has been raised, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you and gives life to your mortal bodies. And since Paul is saying that since you have been raised with Christ, since you have that power, you are to seek. This is the first command that he gives us to seek the things that are above, to seek them. So we're to pursue them. We're to go after the things that are above. He goes on to say where Christ is. So the things that are above are the things where Christ has ascended to. Now, Jesus said that he came to do the will of the father. He came to seek and save the lost, but he came to do the will of his father. And so the will of the father is the thing that is above where Christ is. He says, seated at the right hand of God. So he goes on to say, then this is our second command. Set your minds. So first we are to seek, we are to pursue, we are to go after the things that are above, but then we're also to set our minds. We're to think about, to think on, to focus on the things that are above not on things that are on earth. And so in just a moment, Paul is going to break down a list for us of these things that are on earth, these things that he's telling us not to go after, but he wants to first start by saying, hey, I want you to pursue, to go after, to seek the things that are above where Christ is. But then I also want you to think about, to focus on the things that are above where Christ is, not these things that I'm going to tell you here in just a second. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this hidden with Christ piece, the reason I highlight that is this. I want you to understand something. And as you read through the New Testament, as you read the epistles that Paul wrote, you're going to see that Paul talks a lot about being in Christ, that in Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, the old things have passed and the new things have come. There's this idea that we are in Christ. So he's saying here that you have been hidden with Christ. Your life is no longer seen. When the father looks at you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your sin, your guilt, your shame. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus poured out on you. So you are hidden with Christ. Your whole life is hidden with him and God. That's how you know you're secure. That's how you know that you are safe in Christ. You are hidden in him. He goes on to say, when Christ, who is your life? So now that you're hidden with Christ, Christ has become your life. Your life is no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. Christ is your life. And when Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He goes on to say verse five, and this is where we start to get into that list of things that are here on earth. So this is our next command. We were to seek, we were to set our minds on, Now we're to put to death, (laughs) put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So let's pause there for a second. He says, put to death, therefore. Anytime you see a word, therefore, it's linking you back to something that came before it. So it's linking you back. It's therefore a reason. And the thing it's linking you back to is that you are now, your life is hidden with Christ and that Christ is now your life and that you have been raised with Christ. And because of all of that, we are to put to death, what is earthly in us. And you may be thinking, what's earthly in me? Those things that are on earth that Paul said he didn't want us uh, to think about. He wanted us to set our minds on things above, not things on earth. What are those things that are earthly within me? And now he gives us this list. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, 
which is idolatry. So the first one, sexual immorality. Sexual sin is a sin against not only God, but against your own body, against your own flesh, and on those you're committing it with. Impurity kind of falls into that same category. Passions kind of fall into that same category. Evil desires. So Paul is basically saying here, in case you didn't catch the first one or the second one, I'm going to break this down to you in multiple ways so that you understand the root of all of this is the same. It's all really idolatry. All of this comes from I'm putting myself above God. I'm putting someone else above God. I'm putting my wants, desires, feelings above God. It's all idolatry. Covetousness, big word, don't really use it much anymore, but it basically means to covet. And when you covet, you want something that someone else has, something that's not yours. There's a, a, an Old Testament command that's in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. You see your neighbor's wife, not supposed to want her, right? Because she belongs to her husband, just like your wife belongs to you and you to her. So we're not supposed to covet our neighbor's spouse. So covetousness, again, idolatry. I'm putting something else above God. So Paul says, hey, now that you have been raised with Christ, now that you have this resurrection power of Christ living in you, put to death all this stuff, this personal pursuit, this fleshly desire, these things that you're going to pursue that way. He goes on to say in verse six, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. No questions there, right? All of them, they all have to go. There's no place for them. And he gives us another breakdown of this list. So the first one was the sexual uh, immorality and things like that, things that we may do with our bodies, these desires, these pursuits. And then he goes on to say, but also there's anger and wrath and malice and slander. These are things that we would want to do to harm other people. And obscene talk, put them all away, keep them all away from your mouth. You need to go through this list and ask yourself, do I struggle with these things? Do I have an anger problem, a wrath problem? Do I have malice? Am I trying to harm other people? Am I slandering other people? Am I talking about other people wrongly? Is there obscene talk coming from my mouth? If so, I need to put them all away because I have been raised with Christ. My life is hidden in him. I'm not my own anymore. Now that I belong to him, I need to live like he lived. And if I'm going to live like he lived, I have to put to death all of those evil desires within me. And I have to put to death or put away all these evil things that would come out of my mouth right? You following me here? So Paul is saying, if you want to live like Christ lived, this is what we have to do. And he would know, right? All right. Verse nine, he goes on to say, do not lie to one another. So again, speaking, he's dealing with what we speak here. We just talked about obscene talk and all of those things. Now he's saying, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So there's a line of demarcation, if you will. There is a separation where there was an old you, And in that old, you had an encounter with the cross, an encounter with Jesus. And now there is a new you. So you're going to put off the old self with its practices, all the sexual immorality and evil desires and impurities and obscene talk and all of the things that come out of our mouth that are not proper. We're going to put all of that away. We're going to put it off and even put it to death and have put on the new self. So there's this process of putting off and then putting on. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here, that this is a process. This is something you have to do. This is something you have to focus on. This doesn't come naturally to us because we are still in these sinful bodies. We still have a sinful flesh. This is not a natural thing. It is a process of putting off 
and putting on, putting off and putting on. So every time I put off something, I need to put on something in its place, right? Or I'm going to be exposed. Every time I put off sexual immorality or impurity, I need to put on righteousness and godliness. So he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So this idea of it being renewed, this really is talking about you are being conformed to the image of Christ. You're being made new. You are being renewed in him, not just your body, but your mind, your spirit. We are being renewed, conformed to the image of Christ, as Romans chapter eight says. And he goes on to say here, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put off the old, put on the new, You're being renewed. Here's the main point that I want you to get today. Living like Jesus lived is all about the condition of your heart. Living like Jesus lived is all about the condition of your heart. Scripture says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Living like Jesus lived is about the condition of our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We are told to put to death a bad heart. That is what Paul is teaching us here, that those, the bad heart, those things that come out of having a bad heart, out of having a sinful flesh, we are to put all of those things to death. And then the question becomes, what does life look like after we put to death a bad heart? In other words, what does life look like? after we have understood that we have been raised with life in Christ and that we are to live like Jesus lived, we are to put to death a bad heart. But what happens when we put off that old self and put on the new self? And I told you there was going to be a lot of scripture today. Paul goes on to explain. Stick with me here. Let's go back into Colossians 3, now verses 12 through 17. So we were told to seek the things that are above where Christ is. We were told to set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is. So we are to seek, to pursue. We are to set our minds on, to think about, to focus on. We're to put to death the sexual immorality, impurity, all that stuff. Put it to death, nail it to the cross. It's been crucified with Christ. Our life is now hidden in him. We have resurrection power and we're to put off the old self. And then he says, to now put on. Now put on. So he told us what to put off. Now he's telling us what to put on. He says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Look what happens here. Now that you have been raised with Christ, you went from an evil person with evil desires, with a bad heart that we're to put to death that bad heart. And then because now you have been raised with Christ, you are chosen, you're holy, and you're beloved. Let that sink in. You were chosen that God looked down from heaven and he saw you and he said, I want you. He said, now you are holy. That means you have been set apart. You have been made new, set set apart for God's purpose in righteousness. And you are beloved. That means that God loved you. He loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. And because you are chosen, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. This is where we begin to live like Jesus lived. Because remember, Scripture said that Jesus looked out on Jerusalem and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved with compassion. We are to put on compassionate hearts. Is your heart compassionate? How's your heart? How's your heart? We are to put on kindness. This doesn't come natural to us to just be kind. This is actually the opposite of what Paul was saying a minute ago when he said we need to put off anger and wrath and malice and slander. Those things are not kind. So he's saying when you put them off, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience. So get rid of anger, wrath, malice, obscene talk, put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, have a compassionate heart. 
This is what we put on. If we're going to live like Christ lived, this is what he demonstrated. Christ was moved with compassion. Christ was kind to people, even to the least of these. He went to those that society deemed unlovable and he touched them. He reached them right where they were. He was humble, so humble. God himself who clothed himself in flesh and came down and dwelt among us. He is the, the epitome of humility in that sense. He was meek. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is is easy and, and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Meekness is this, you have the power to do something, but you choose to hold back that power. He's saying, Paul is basically saying here, be meek in that you may have the power to destroy. You may have the power through your anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. You may have the power to destroy someone else, but hold that back, hold that back and then clothe yourself in kindness, humility, Meekness and patience. He goes on to say, bearing with one another. <laughs> and you know that in life we have to bear with one another, especially in the church. Sometimes relationships can be hard, but he's told us to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And this word as means it's simultaneous. It's simultaneous. He's saying, forgive other people just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. If you think back, to the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter six. Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As it's simultaneous. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And oftentimes we stop right there. But in the very next verse, Jesus says that if we do not forgive others, our father in heaven will not forgive us. We have to forgive others. And Paul is reminding us of that when he says bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must for. Give. We need to have forgiving hearts, compassionate hearts, be forgiving towards one another. And then he goes to say, and above all of these, above everything else that we just covered, above compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, all of those things we just covered, here's another command, put on love. And I think he emphasizes put on here because, again, it's a process. It's not a natural thing for us to just automatically love everyone. He's telling us that we need to clothe ourselves in it each and every day, the same way you get out of bed and you have a process that you go through. Hopefully you brush your teeth. Otherwise, people aren't going to want to talk to you and you wash your face. So you get all the crust out your eye and all that stuff. And then you get dressed. You make yourself presentable to go out into the world. And I think Paul is telling us that our morning routine uh, before we go out into the world is that we need to make sure that we put on love, that we are presentable, representing children as children of God. We are representatives that we need to clothe ourselves in love so that as we go out into the world, people see Christ in us because when they saw Jesus, they would have seen the epitome of love. And now that we are his representatives, remember as disciples, we don't just want to know what Jesus knew. We want to be who Jesus was. Discipleship's not about learning. It's about becoming. We are becoming like Christ. And in order to do that, we have to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And I thought it was so cool that he just attaches at the end and be thankful and be thankful because don't we forget sometimes 
Isn't it easy sometimes to forget that we have so much to be thankful for because we have been raised with Christ, that we have the peace of Christ in us and we can clothe ourselves in love and we can be disciples and be like him and we can be thankful for that. We can be thankful for those things. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So now he's teaching us how we do this. And he's saying like, this isn't natural for you to put on this stuff, but this is how you do it. You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's how you begin to love. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You begin to dwell or let the word dwell in you. You become like Christ, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So we're to teach one another. So when we are together, body of Christ, and we see someone not acting in love, someone not putting on love, we are to teach and to admonish or to correct one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, letting people see our joy and the peace that we have, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Why would anybody want what we have if we don't demonstrate the joy and the peace of God that's in our lives because we have been raised with Christ? We need to teach one another the word of God, admonish one another, or correct one another to make sure that we're no longer living in the earthly flesh and the earthly desires, but that we have put on love that we have been raised with Christ. We have his resurrection power. And now we're to live like Jesus lived. And Paul goes on, he's saying basically right now, and catch this, he's saying, if you didn't catch anything else I said, let me cover it all in just one little synopsis here. Verse 17, and whatever you do, (laughs) and whatever you do. So there's no exception here. There's no rule that says, okay, I got to put on love in this situation, but not in that situation. Or, or I got to put away obscene talk and anger and malice in this situation, but not in that situation. No, Paul's saying, let me capture everything here. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Live like Jesus lived. Everything you do, word, deed, everything, all of it. Let's live like Jesus lived. He said, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the father through him again, living, living like Jesus lived. It's all about the condition of your heart. So how's your heart? How's your heart? That's my question for you today. That's the thing that I really want you to ponder today. How is my heart? Am I living in that Jeremiah 17, nine heart where it talks about the heart is, is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or am I living in a heart that resembles Christ? Am I putting on love? Am I living with meekness and kindness and humility and patience? Or am I living with anger and wrath and malice and, and sexual immorality and impurity and obscene talk? Which heart am I carrying? Am I still carrying around the bad heart that Jesus came to redeem me from? Do I need to crucify that bad heart and nail it to the cross, crucify that flesh so that I can put on love and live like Jesus lived? How is your heart today? How's your heart? I have to check my heart daily. Again, because of Jeremiah 17, 9, I know that my heart is wicked. I know that daily it is a process of putting off the old self and putting on the new. I have to ask myself that question, how's my heart? And you may be wondering something that I wondered as well. And is this, if I have been raised with Christ, why is my heart still such an issue? If I've been raised with Christ, if I have this resurrection power, why is my heart still such an issue? And we get the answer for that back in Colossians 3, 4, where Paul said, when Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let me explain this to you. All right. There, this is a kind of a future thing. 
Right now we have Christ, we have resurrection power. His resurrection power is, is conforming us to his image. It's making us like him so that we can live the way that he lived. But we're not going to be just like him until we are glorified with him when he returns for us. This is a future thing. That is our future hope, our, our blessed assurance that he's going to come back for us and that we will then appear with him in glory and we will be made like him. We'll be glorified with him. But until then, we have to put off the old and put on the new. This is kind of a future thing. We're in this space in between awaiting the return of our Savior. And we're living, wondering in this meantime, wondering now what, what do I do with this life after death? How do I live in this life after death? How do I live the way that Christ lived? And then like we're going to talk about next week, how do I do what Christ did? We're going to talk about that and we're going to dive more into it. But for this week, I want you to focus on your heart. I want you to think about the condition of your heart and ask yourself that question. How is my heart? Am I, am I living in, in the flesh? Am I living in these earthly desires? Or have I put on love? Have I put on meekness? Is, is my life after death, my life after encountering the cross, do I look like Jesus and do I live like Jesus? Or am I living like the world with these earthly desires, these things that I am pursuing? The call from Christ is always the same. It's follow me. It's follow me. And he went on to tell Peter, and Andrew, and I will make you fishers of men. I will, he said, don't, don't just follow me. Don't just live like I live, but I'll make you fishers of men so you can do what I do. And that's the part that we're going to talk about more next week to doing what Jesus did. But this week, we're just talking about the follow him piece, living like he lived. So we have to ask the question, where's Jesus headed? Where are we following him to? And the answer was to a cross. And Jesus was leading us to that cross because he wanted us to put to death the old flesh, the old self, so that we could put on the new, that we could be clothed in love and righteousness and carry that to the world around us. We have to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. We have to nail the flesh to it each and every day, that bad heart. And we have to live in his resurrection power that's demonstrated as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved with compassionate hearts and kindness and meekness and humility and patience, bearing with one another. So we can live in his victory as we await his return. Now, one of the things that we do in our live service, if, if you've never been with us uh, live yet, we have some of our kids that actually sit in service with us, our second graders through fifth graders. They don't go to kids church yet. They actually sit with us. But I realize that maybe in your home, that's what you have right now on Sunday morning. Maybe you're sitting there with your children. And here's what I want uh, kids to understand. Kids, this is for you too. You can ask yourself, how is my heart? You can, you can ask these same questions and understand that your Savior, Jesus, he was a child just like you are. Your Savior, Jesus, he had parents to obey just like you have parents to obey. He had lessons to learn. He had friends to play with. He had to do all of those things with the right heart. Jesus grew up just like you. He had a mom and a dad, Mary and Joseph. He had to be obedient to the things that they told him to do. I'm sure that Jesus got told uh, to clean his room and, and to play well with others and all of those things, just like you. Jesus had to be obedient, um, just like you had to be obedient. He had lessons that he learned from his parents and Jesus had brothers and sisters too. And so you can ask the same question, young, young man or young woman, young lady. You can ask, how's my heart? Am I playing the, with my friends the way that I should be? When my friends look at me, um, are they going to see the love of Jesus or are they going to see a kid who's, who's selfish, who only wants their own way? What are people going to see? Am I obeying my parents? Am I doing what my parents ask? Uh, because God told me I need to be obedient. You can ask the same question, kids. How's my heart? How's my heart? 
And so my prayer for you parents, my prayer for you adults, my prayer for you elementary kids, and my prayer for you middle school and high school students is that we would spend some time this week just kind of focusing on our heart and figuring out, are we, are we living the way that God has called us to live? Are we living in the resurrection power of Christ? Um, and that our heart, the condition of our heart is good and not bad. How's our hearts? And I'll tell you a quick story um, as I close, but we all have these places we like to frequent, right? Whether it's the gym or the coffee shop or the dry cleaner, the grocery store. And if you're like me, I'm a creature of habit. So like with the grocery store and the coffee shop, I always go to the same ones. And there's a place that I like to frequent. And, and typically when you do that, you start to get to know the people that work there. And you always have your favorite person that works there, the person that makes your drink just right, or the person uh, that greets you every morning as you walk into the gym or, or the, the checkout person that even if their line's a little bit longer because you're cool with them, you'll hop in their line, that kind of thing. We all meet these people. And this gives us an opportunity to live like Jesus lived with compassionate hearts and meekness and kindness and humility uh, and patience and to, to demonstrate God's love to those people. So I was walking into one of my places um, this week. And typically when I go out in the mornings, I'm wearing some Seven Cities gear, whether it's a sweatshirt or a beanie or something. So everyone knows that I'm a part of Seven Cities Church because I love our church. I love our people. I love what God is doing here. And so I like to advertise it. And I would encourage you to do the same. Uh, just make sure that if you are wearing some Seven Cities gear, that, that you're putting off the old you know, the anger and the wrath and the malice and stuff and that you're putting on love. All right. Cause yeah. Anyway. So I walk into this place that I frequent four or five times a week. And as I'm walking in, the lady that works there, we say good morning to every, each other every day. Um, she's there and she says, Hey, good morning. I'm like, Hey, how are you today? How's everything going? And she says, good. And, and then she asked me, she says, how was your Easter service? And I'm like, oh, our Easter was great. We had a phenomenal time. You know, it was good to just kind of come together and worship our risen king together. And Pastor Brian preached um, an amazing word. We just had a really great time. I said, how about your Easter? And she's like, my Easter was good. I said, really? I said, where do you attend? And she kind of got this frown on her face. And she says to me, she's like, well, I don't don't go to church anymore. Um, She's like, I actually used to work for a church. And, And I saw so many things behind the scenes that just left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, she's like, so I don't, I don't go to church. She's like, I've just seen too much stuff. <sighs> and I would be lying to you if I didn't say, or if I said I hadn't heard that story before, but I've actually heard that particular story quite often about people who, who go to church or people who work for churches and have, have had such bad encounters at church that that now they don't even want to step through the doors of a church. And, and, and if you can hear me clearly on this part, church family, I believe that that comes from us as the people of God, not being aware of the condition of our hearts. I believe that comes from us as the people of God, not, not understanding that we have been raised with Christ so that we have to seek the things that are above, that we have to set our minds on the, on the things that are above and that we have to put to death uh, the old flesh with its earthly desires, the anger, wrath, and malice, and sexual immorality and impurity, and all of those things that would lead us astray and that would cause us to live in a way that's unlike the way that Christ lived, so that when we encounter people who want to know Jesus, who want to love Jesus, who want to be a, a part of his church body, and then they have such a bad encounter with us that they turn and walk away from church. And as I'm talking to her, as I'm listening to her talk about her love for God and her relationship with him, but she doesn't want to go to church. It broke my heart because all I could think is church 
This is the body that Jesus died for. His, we are his bride. His bride that he died for so that he could come back and claim a bride without spot and blemish. But we're so covered in spots and blemishes right now because the people of God, the children of God that make up the body and bride of Christ are living in such a way that we're not living the way that Christ lived. I think it was Gandhi that said something to the effect of um, um, your Jesus is good. Like I would love to follow Jesus. The problem is that Christians don't behave like Jesus behave. That's the problem with your religion. And not that, that Gandhi has the, the authority to speak on, on Christianity since he wasn't a believer. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. But I think there's some truth in what he's saying that a lot of people, if they encountered the Jesus that, that we preach about from scripture, if they got to meet Jesus uh, as he is, they would love Jesus and they would want to follow Jesus. It's typically us religious people who have been in this game for a long time. And maybe game sounds disrespectful to you, but that's how some of us treat it, uh, who have been in this thing for a long time that we've forgotten that we're supposed to live how Christ lived, that we've forgotten that we're supposed to be disciples who are becoming like Christ, not just knowing what Christ knew. And so we fill our heads so full of knowledge that we forget to become like him. And my challenge to you, church, would be to check your heart, to understand how your heart is. What is the condition of your heart? And and I love what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And, and you might be reading that like, all right, vigilance, eh, that's a big word, eh, don't really feel that. Look at how it's worded in the NIV. He says, above all else, above everything else in life, guard your heart. Know the condition of your heart. Guard it, protect it. Understand that you have been raised with Christ. Understand that you have resurrection power within you. Understand that, that from your heart, everything you do flows from it. So every encounter you have, everything that you do is going to flow from the condition of your heart. And if the condition of your heart isn't right, then what's going to flow out is bad. Instead of putting on love and meekness and kindness and humility and patience, you're going to allow um, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and sexual immorality and impurity and hatred and covetousness. You're going to allow those things to flow because like Jeremiah 17, 9 said, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if you're not cautious of the condition of your heart, you will allow the wickedness that's naturally in your heart to flow out. But because you represent Christ, you're going to lead people far from Christ instead of guiding people to life in Christ. We have to know if we're going to live like Jesus lived, it's all about the condition of our hearts. And I would challenge you, church, today, right there in your living room and Starbucks, wherever you may be watching this, I would challenge you today to ask yourself the question, how's my heart? What's the condition of my heart? And when people look at me based on the condition of my heart, would they say he's living like Christ lived, living like Jesus lived, or is he living out of the abundance of his flesh? How's your heart today, church? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, um, I am in awe of who you are, that you would send your son Jesus to die for me, to die for us, that we get to to live in your presence, having been raised with Christ. But Lord, I pray for myself and for each and every person that hears my voice, that you would help us to check the condition of our heart, that you would help us to know how our heart is, Lord, and that our hearts would be pure before you, that, that you would call us to a place of understanding that we're being conformed into the image of your son and that, that we have to live with pure hearts and clean hearts and a, and a heart that's guarded, Lord, not just by us, but also by your Holy Spirit, Father, that we need to live in your presence, Father, and that, that we need to become more like your son. Help us to live like Jesus lived in this life after death and this life after encountering the cross. Help us to live like Jesus lived. 
And as you're listening this morning, ask yourself that question. How is my heart? Is my heart full of anger and wrath and malice? Or am I putting that old self away? Am I nailing those things to the cross? And am I pursuing Jesus with a heart that's been raised with him? And maybe you're the person that doesn't know Jesus. You haven't received this gift of salvation. And if that's you, my prayer is that today is your day for that, that you can receive that resurrection power, the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that would now come to you and make alive uh, your mortal body, that you could receive that spirit. And you will know that that that's happening because you'll feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, uh, that convicting you of your sins, showing you your need for a Savior. And he'll give you the faith to believe that Jesus is the only way. But we have to ask, what's the condition of our hearts? Um, and do our hearts reflect that we live the way that Jesus lived? Church, I love you guys. Um, and, and Father, we love you. And we're just thankful for all that you are. We're thankful for your love in our lives. And we're just thankful that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place. Thank you for raising him out of the grave victoriously and that he's now seated at your right hand. Uh, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Uh, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, as we go through this week, I want you to focus on the condition of your heart. Are you seeking?